you're over 50 because now they have to correct long and short it's oh. 10,000 it's 5,000 and I uh, that's a car yeah that's that's me rehabbing mm. all this after all those babies <laughs> I've got plans man <laughs> not, I'm not too concerned about crystal clear vision but I am concerned about picking a look. few things up <laughs> so I, say, I, just, I just want to look down and see my feet that's yeah. it <laughs> I don't have huge aspirations. <laughs> just if my stomach could be an internal organ again, that'd just be so great. Oh, and we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Virgil, you're going to get an earful on that. <laughs> there he is. There he is. Never gets old. <laughs> we all good evening. Let's kick off in prayer tonight. I did want to let you know that as part of the Life University experience for our students, they have several different breakout sessions that they've been doing for the kids, which are really neat. And one of them is tech arts. And so tonight we will have the kids coming in and they're gonna be running cameras, they're gonna be playing with the light board a little bit, they're gonna learn how to run graphics, they're gonna take a look at some of the audio components. So if you notice people milling about and you notice some teenagers messing with stuff back there, it's okay. Yeah, they're not stealing it. They're not stealing it. We told them that they could. And so they're going to be in here, and it will be a blessing to them that they're going to be able to experience that. And, of course, we're talking about sex, too, so that will be fun for the kids. Not sex. No, not sex. Parenting. Parenting. Aw. So you want to open us yep. prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this night. Again, we thank you for the privilege of being here. Father, tonight as we, as we talk about parenting, um, Father, as we, as we think about our kids and we kind of are picturing them now, Father, for us to see them as the, as the gifts that they are, and Father, that we would just be um, just motivated by your word to be the best stewards of those gifts as that we can possibly be. So tonight, I pray that our hearts, our minds are open, that your Holy Spirit is in this place to teach us, and we walk out of here as the best parents we can possibly be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We wanted to kick off with a little video tonight about parenting. Go ahead, Andrea. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did they just think 
topics over the last couple of weeks here in this particular class, this Life University couple checkup. And so I wanted to go back and review a couple of the tools that we've already talked about in the previous weeks. We talked about family of origin, which is foo. We can go back to the previous slide, Megan. It should say F-O-O, foo on it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the confidence monitor, which now leaves me not feeling very confident because it's a different slide on the confidence monitor. So, your spouse above any other house. That tool is when we say to our spouse and make sure that they know that they are now the priority, not the home we were raised in, not our friends, that it is our spouse that we value above the other relationships in our life. So, spouse above any other house, including mama and daddy. You don't have to love what you're doing when we talk about leisure time, just who you're doing it with. Dr. Myers talked quite a bit about that, that yes, you can indeed go antiquing, even if you hate it. You can indeed go fly fishing. Which one is that trip coming up? It's in October. All right, so that trip's coming up. And the key is to love who you're doing it with, not necessarily what the activity is when it comes to leisure time. And then, on the confidence monitor, if we can pull that one up, roles and responsibilities. Everything is negotiable when we talk about housework, chores, finances, kid care, all of that. We are not bound by some secular or religious, I'm not talking about Jesus, I'm talking about some religious expectation of what should be man work, woman work, blah, blah, blah. Negotiate within your own partnerships within your marriages for who's going to cover what, but have those conversations. Everything is negotiable. And leading is serving. Jimmy talked a lot last week about what Christian leadership looks like in a home for a husband leading his home is serving. And so those are some of the tools we want to make sure you have in the toolbox. But tonight, we are going to talk about parenting. It's actually not part of the couple checkup assessment. It's sprinkled throughout, but it's not exactly its own section. But based on the questions and feedback that y'all gave us on the first night when we asked you to fill out, you know, three little questions about what you wanted to see more of, what's working well, what's an area of challenge you want to see covered, a lot of you brought up parenting and step-parenting, how that works in a marriage. Some of you are now past those years, you're in the empty nest. Some of you are not even yet to getting the nest fluffed out. Some of you have very full nests, and some of you have children who are your, your spouse's children from another marriage. And all of that very much impacts a marriage. Even if you are in that phase where you're in an empty nest, I have seen marriages get on the rocks because one of the partners in the marriage, even after the kids are launched, is still so super involved with those adult children that they have a hard time being connected to their spouse as well. So this applies to wherever you may be in that arc. 
if you have children, there's always those tweaks and things that we need to be watching when it comes to our parenting and the impact that it does have on our marriages. So tonight we're going to talk about parenting and step-parenting, and some of us more fully occupy the role of parent more than we do spouse. And I think sometimes this can go along gender lines. I think for a lot of women, when they become mothers, there's something that is so fulfilled in them, and what it takes if you're a mom, particularly if you're nursing that little baby, you are still very connected to that child. And there are times that that relationship, simply because of the demands of a small child, seems to supersede the role of spouse. And yet in God's design, you were a spouse first, and then a parent. And then come those foo relationships, daughter, daughter-in-law, sister, sister-in-law, aunt, any of those relationships. I think sometimes, and I don't know why this has happened, but it feels sometimes in Christian parenting we've become so focused on wanting to get those kids launched well, which is a grand and good thing, but we somehow have allowed the parenting relationship to supersede the spousal relationship. And you can probably speak to seeing some of that in practice. Well, in the, in the, 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 the okay. <laughs> the? That was my Bugs Bunny. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, or my Porky Pig, one or the other. Okay, it's, uh, and I shouldn't drink before I come. You told me that. You told me that last week. And it's Elmer's phone, I think, is... No, Porky Pig. Okay, all right, all right. The, 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 the one that stutters. Okay, you're right, you're right. Elmer, so Elmer lists. we will take our children. Our children become such a ready distraction sometimes from the messiness of our relationship. There, it is built in. So when there's trouble with us, man, we can occupy ourselves with their homework and going to this committee and that PTA, and guys can now all of a sudden be going to their seven-year-old little league practice, not just the games. So our children can become the main focus as a way of intentionally taking the focus off of our relationship. And so in a way, and that's what Satan does. We've talked before about how Satan, we should not look at him, right, as having uh, uh, horns and a bifurcated tail. More, a more accurate picture is what? Do y'all remember? An old man in a trench coat out behind an adult bookstore because he's a pervert. That's what he is. That's what he does. He takes really good things and he 180s. He perverts them. What's, how in the world could children, our God's greatest gift, how could that ever be used of the father of lies? Well, when the father of lies convince us that our children are more important than our spouse, that's when an extremely good thing can begin to become a deadly thing relationally when it's in the hands of the adversary. So, Sometimes we just get excited and put our kids first. Sometimes it may be subconscious on our part, but we're putting our kids first because they're a ready distraction that we don't have to deal with what's going on here. We're just busy running schedules mm-hmm. and you know where they need to go. We can jump ahead a couple of slides. There's a parenting and step-parenting slide, and that's, the next one's the one that we want, please. Okay, so we bring some interesting expectations to the parenting experience. There were things that I didn't know I had in terms of expectation about raising my own children until I had them. 
And then there were some odd things that all of a sudden, material goods that weren't all that important to me for just me, became really important that I wanted for my kids. Experiences that I wasn't all that, you know, well, it's fine, whatever. All of a sudden, I really wanted that for my kids. I've not some, been someone who really wanted to throw big fancy shindigs. All of a sudden, I just was turning myself inside out. And my early parenting, and I know this is going to be horrifying for some of you to try to process what it was like in those pioneer days, there was no Pinterest. And so when you were trying to come up with a way to do children's birthday parties, I mean, the research. My Lord, what did you do? I really don't know. It was, it was a dark time. Um, <laughs> and so because we didn't have those kinds of resources, and I would spend all this time trying to come up with these perfect parties for kids, and that was not something that I had ever thought was going to be that critical to me. But beyond just some of the window dressing of parenting, are also some of the expectations that we can have coming into it that we've maybe never even voiced. We may have talked theoretically about having, well, wouldn't it be fun to have kids, wouldn't it be great to have kids, but we've never really been in the trenches with this person that we're married to in terms of parenting with them. And we each have a set of what we think we want the outcomes to be in parenting or what we think the ideal would be or kind of the direction we think things should go. And so when we don't have those hardcore conversations early on, it can bring up some really interesting unspoken expectations as we start getting into the trenches of parenting. We can hit the next one. Really quickly on that one. Um, We tend to parent the way we were parented, or we parent exactly opposite Opposite. of the way that we were parented. (laughs) But either way, we're profoundly influenced by how we were parented. And very few of us marry someone who was parented exactly the same way. So these expectations are different. Uh, now, if you've got good communication and conflict resolution, you know, that's fine, and we, and we work it all out. But it can be um, striking how differently parents see the, the exact same situation because our expectations are different simply because what was implanted in us by our parents, uh, which is why so often, you know, you, and I, I've used the example before about, you know, because Beth and I were married the day I turned 20 and three kids by 24. So we were babies with babies running out our ears and we didn't know what we were doing, um, but someone gave us Dobson's book, The Strong Little Child. And, and, I've, and I've said before, I don't know where. I was a lot of things, but a wise 24-year-old was not one of them. <laughs> but somewhere, Beth and I both said, you and I don't know what we're doing, but this guy like, got a hard copy book published. So he apparently does. So when we disagree, we go to the book because this guy's got it figured out. And luckily... No one handed us, you know, parenting Hare Krishna's way or something like that. They gave us something as solid as Dobson. But it was great for us to have, it it enabled us to mesh our parenting styles uh, without beating us over the head and one forcing the other to comply. Um, But the way we were parented sets those expectations. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that for a lot of people, one of the places that the experiences that you had in childhood where it's most often expressed, parenting may be the place that our own childhoods play in more heavily than any other area. Things that we kind of feel like we need to work out that happened to us in childhood. Some of us are trying to replicate 
the idyllic childhood that we think that we had. You can talk to Mikey? Yeah. Or you answer like this. It's an Android suite. There you go. Okay. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Good. How are you doing? Yeah, we're both a little busy. Your wife and I are busy right now. Um, do you want to say hi to about 100, 120 people? Yeah, this is Wednesday. This is church night. Okay. <laughs> what did you think I meant when I said me and your wife are busy? Oh, okay. Okay, well, it was good talking to you. We'll have to catch up later. <laughs> See you, buddy. All right, we're good. Good. Um, I just like how nice he was. <laughs> exactly. He was <laughs> like, so nice. He's like, oh, okay. My wife was busy. Oh, okay. I'm like, wow. What do you mean, okay? Way to stand up for me, baby. That was really. Uh, I'll call him back later. But, you know, I think that we do find out that things that happen in childhood, we're either trying to replicate or we're trying to fix things that happened in our own childhood. And we're trying to do it through that next generation of our children. Now, here comes a shameless book plug, all right? In my new book coming out next year called Raising an Original, yes. I actually cover this story because it's so powerful to me what happens when our childhood experiences spill over into our own parenting. In the book of Judges, there is a man named Jephthah. And he is the son of a very powerful man in Israel, but he's, his mama was a woman of um, a compromised reputation. So he is the half-brother to a tribe of guys who are actually from his dad and a legitimate wife. So Jephthah is kind of, you know, he's over here to the side. He's illegitimate. His siblings know this. And they know it to the point that the word tells us that they become, they become very jealous that he might come into their inheritance somehow. So basically, after being raised with them, he's known as his father's son, but only half. And as they begin to come into their inheritance and their father grows older, this pack of brothers tells him, you will not be part of our family. You're not part of the group anymore. And so that rejection and that place of always being known as less than is what Jephthah carries from his childhood. Well, as time goes on, I guess he became such a scrapper in those situations. He heads out to the hills, and he lives with a guy with a group of really rough guys. They're kind of mercenaries in a sense. They're kind of a gang. And his brothers begin to experience some aggression from a tribe. And they know that Jeff is a, is a scrapper. And so they come to him, and they're like, hey, listen, I tell you what. Will you come and help lead our group in this fight? And if you will do that then we will make you the head of our clan again. That's what we will do. And he says, okay, well, what about if I take you and, and we win? Which is not what they asked. They just asked him to come and actually lead the effort to protect the family. And he ups at one. Well, what if I win? They said, then absolutely, you'll, you'll be the tribe. So that lack of confidence in him, that place of having been rejected as a child, he's now even coming... It's like offering to pay another $5,000 on top of a car price that was already negotiated. He's, he's now offering something he doesn't even have to because of this issue of approval and rejection. He then decides to pull this one. He says, God, if you'll let me win, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. God has not asked that of him. But he makes that vow. And he makes that vow, I believe, out of a place of such tentativeness such fear of rejection, 
Seth's trying to make it and show them and show those brothers that he really can be part of the tribe. He goes out, he in fact does win the battle against this group that's come against his family clan. And when he comes back to his home, the first thing that comes out of his door is his daughter. And he ultimately chooses to sacrifice her because of this misplaced notion that that's what God was going to require for him to win a victory that he was never even required to win. They had just asked him to come and be part of the effort and lead the effort against a warm tribe. How many of us with challenges from childhood, how many of us with a place that we never got accepted, we never got that place on the team, mama didn't like this, our grades weren't what we wanted, on and on and on, we end up through our kids' lives putting them on an altar because we're so busy trying to sort out our own issues that we're willing to place them on the altar as some kind of ipso facto sacrifice to resolve what was unresolved in our own childhoods. And the same can be true in our marriages. The things that we experienced as a child in the marriage that we grew up in, we can be then putting on our kids to try to sort it out and work it out. One of the things, one of the thoughts I had, and then Jimmy's going to take it to get more specific on the topic of step-parenting, you can go to the next slide, is that we must drop the, well, I was raised, and we've got to replace that with the vision God gives us for our children. I'm sorry that your children dropped off the slide. I don't know what happened to them. But we have to replace it with the vision God gives us for our kids. Just because you were raised a certain way does not mean it has inherent value. Just because that was what mama told me to do does not mean that it's something that needs to be replicated to the next generation. One of the things that the word talks about is this experience of generation after generation. It can be a sin issue that keeps coming up in every generation. It can be a blessing and a favor issue that comes up in every generation. But we need to be thinking about what we're sending to the next generation. Because if we're not intentional about what goes to the next generation, how many of you know the, the story that a lot of good preachers tell about cutting off the end of the rose to put in the Sunday rose, and nobody really knows why it's done, and we begin to question why it's done. Well, mom did it that way. Well, why did mom do it? And we get all the way back to great-grandma, and it's because great-grandma's pan was a different size. It has nothing to do with actually preparing the rose to go in the oven in a way that affects the overall quality of the roast. It has nothing to do with it. But we've just replicated what we've seen over and over, that whole thing, well, I was raised, well, that's how I was raised. That language has got to be dropped in the context of partners parenting. It's important to know how each other were raised, but it doesn't mean it has inherent value that should seep into the parenting approach and strategy for the child you've been given. Because that's the other issue as well. You're not raising you, you're raising somebody completely singular in creation. You're raising a brand new individual. And just because something was effective for you, does not mean it's going to be effective for that little personality there that God knit together in a completely unique way. Now, one of the challenges that we do see quite a bit of today within the church, within family structure, is parents who are involved now, who have gotten involved with a new partner in marriage, and they're raising their kids, but now they're stepkids also. And that brings in a different flavor, brings in a different set of challenges. Blended families. Parenting may be one of the hardest things we're ever asked to do ever, period, ever. And then those that are in a step-parenting situation will just shoot yourself in the head because that's, it just doesn't get any more difficult than that. Uh, there are some special challenges that are present um, when, when there's a step-parenting situation. The first thing is, is your parenting philosophy and strategy 
all should be predetermined. <laughs> I know this is maybe a little after the fact for some. <laughs> However, when you're going to blend a family, <clears throat> then how this is going to go down is so critical. I am floored when people are in the office and I tell them, well, you know, when you marry her, you're marrying her kids. You know that, right? And they're, they're aghast by that. No, 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 I'm marrying her. Oh, you sweet, naive thing. <laughs> no, no, you're marrying him and you're marrying his children and his mother. It's a package. You don't just marry a person, you marry a family. And so if, if we're going to blend my kids and your kids, um, then it has to be predetermined. There needs to be extended premarital counseling for anyone getting married, period. If you're remarrying and blending families, there needs to be pre-engagement, uh, pre-the-next-Saturday counseling. <laughs> there just needs to be a constant state of counseling before this happens because there's so many things that have to be worked out prior to saying I do when you've got so many moving parts taking place. And the first thing is, is we talk about, okay, how is this going to work? How did your, how do you parent? And of course, in our dating and everything, we're probably going to see some of that in the other person. But how did your ex-spouse parent? How did your parents parent? How, how did it go down in your home before I showed up? Now then, how do we then take that and take the way I parent and the way my ex-spouse parents? And how are we going to take all that into then what are we going to be doing together? There's a couple of ways of looking at this. And the first one is um, you parent your kids uh, and I'll parent mine. That type of a philosophy. And some people do that. Uh, some people will just say, okay, you handle yours, I'll handle mine, and there the twain shall meet. Uh, that, a lot of people do that. Sometimes that works. There's a lot of inherent problem in that. Uh, it does come with its own set of issues, I guess, like any choice you're going to make. The other choice is, is we're all in this together. So Can you go to that slide, Megan? Um, they should have been in order, and I apologize if they're not. So they got dumped out. Uh, you can scroll down. There's actually more slides below. So, sorry. Oh, he got dumped? That is so sad. So, okay. I apologize. no, we're all in this together. So that means when, since we are now husband and wife, and there's your children and my children and whatever the visitation is, this is our home, and we're all going to be in this thing together which means you're going to take an authority position in my children's life and I'm going to take an authority figure position in your children's lives. Now, if we've all talked this through, and the, to include the children, the children know this is coming. So not, no, the thing is, it's, it's all about the expectations. I don't want anyone to be blindsided with what happens in the house after we get back from the honeymoon. Everybody, the kids know, we know, everyone is on the same page. Because being on this, we always say as parents, boy, it's so important to be on the same page. It's lethal not to be on the same page 
in a blended family. And there was a lot of silent amens right at that point. Because being on the same page with you guys is critical. You talk about your spouse being more, your children being more important than your spouse when you're married. And they're your biological children. How about I'm always going to side with my children over my new spouse. And you're going to side with your children. And then all of a sudden, everyone is just picking teams in the house. And it's just, it's, it's a fast track to destruction. So we're going to, I'm a big fan of contracts. But before I talk about that very, very quickly, because we're going to get you to your questions. This always comes up with any step parent, be it the father or the mother or the husband or the wife. The kid says, you're not my dad. And uh, they're very, they're correct. Uh, you're not their father. And, and here's how we handle that. We say, no, and this is, by, and we'll talk about this when we talk about a contract, but no, I, I'm not your father and, and I love you to death, but I, I don't want to replace your father. You have a great dad. Um, however, I am an adult authority figure in your life. That I am. And for, for the, the mom to say, listen, honey, you have a lot of grown men telling you what to do. Your soccer coach tells you what to do. Your English teacher tells you what to do. You have a lot, your youth minister tells you where to go and what. You have a lot of grown men telling you what to do and none of them want to be your dad. They're not trying to replace your dad and neither is he. He's just another adult authority figure in your life. No more, no less. And you'll treat him accordingly or I will jerk a knot in your tail. <laughs> So it, 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 that really enables them to see, you know, you don't talk to your history teacher this way, and so you're not going to talk to him this way. Because your history teacher's not trying to be your dad either, sweetie. I get where you're coming from, but take a deep knee bend and let's go. So now then, a contract is a great way to get on the same page. If y'all been in here with me very much at all, you know that I'm a huge fan of contracts, where that... That incoming husband and wife have talked about it in detail. What's important to you? What's important to you? What are your expectations at school? Do you just have, you know, is your expectation they simply have to bring home a passing grade? See, mine is anything less than an A and they had no electronics for six weeks. Okay, that, we got to work that out. We got to come to an agreement on that and curfews and what constitutes disrespect. You know, I've had... I've had wives that if you roll their eyes, they're ready to disembowel you. And a dad, you know, you've got to drop an F-bomb before he even gets his attention. So what is disrespect to you? Uh, and talk that through. And so you come up with this list of, okay, here's our expectations at home. Here's our expectations at school. And here's exactly what will happen if you don't meet that expectation. No harm, no foul, nothing personal, just business. And it's a wonderful way of getting that new spouse out of the punisher and punishing role. It's, you know, well, guys, we're entering into this new relationship. It's this new home. So when y'all are here, here's, here's how this house is going to be run. And if I see you do it, that way it doesn't make any difference if mom sees them doing it or the stepdad sees them doing it. It doesn't matter because the exact same thing is going to occur no matter who sees them doing it. 
But as you can tell, this takes a lot of pre-planning. And the nice thing is about, you know, getting remarried, you got all the time in the world. So take the time to think it through, talk it through, plan it through. You know, a plan is not worth anything. But planning is worth, you send, you tweeted out Winston Churchill, something about planning. Yes. But it's important to, because if you fail to plan, you what? Plan to fail. You plan to fail. And, and that, that truism could not be truer than when it comes to blended families and step-parenting. Experientially in your practice, is there one of these two methods that you've seen be more effective? Either the Without all question, we're all in this together. We're all in this together as a more Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's, it's almost naive to think we're all going to live in the same house, but only you can say anything about your children's behavior. Mm-hmm. That's just naive. And I, take, I take that back. Some of you may be in that situation and it works swimmingly. I'm just saying, <laughs> for the most part, I see that not working more than I see it working. Where the other one, again, if you take the time to establish it and we go in with that same, expect, that same understanding of how it's going to be, and the kids all know it, so nobody's surprised, no one's upset, uh, it can work really, really well. And, you know, we didn't have a chance to really discuss this on the first session when we talked about um, extended family, friends, family of origin, those kind of things. But what do you think is critical for children in blended families to see when it comes to those ex-spouses of each of this new unit of parents? What do you think yeah, is the best Dobson, that? my big deal with anyone who's divorcing is as soon as they tell me we're no longer trying to reconcile, I say, okay, are, we, are you sure about this? Uh, and if they say yes, say, okay, then from this moment on, now this is about your children. It's not about what you want. It's not about you getting your needs met. This is about now your children. And there's only one, the one rule, the one overarching rule in divorce and eventually when you remarry, but during the divorce, and that is you have to love your children more than you hate your ex. And if you can love your kids more than you hate your ex, this is going to work. And it's going to work. Dobson talked about that divorce is the single biggest negative impact on a child's life, emotionally and psychologically, even more than death of a parent, because divorce is is like voluntary death. We're choosing to destroy the family, not a car accident or a cancer. And yet, the negative impact of a divorce can be wildly reduced if the ex-spouses just don't hate each other. If they can work things out cordially, they don't have to be best friends and do barbecues on the weekend. It's just, we don't hate each other. So we can talk about the kids, we can co-parent. If you can do that, and I get it. I've ha- I can't tell you how many couples have been in the office and they go, you know what, we're, we're just ending this and it's sad and I don't hate him and well, I don't hate her and we're just gonna do this amicably. And as soon as they get an attorney, it becomes adversarial. The system creates adversaries out of these people. And by the time it's all over with, they're wanting to milk the other one dry. Uh, It's just, it's extremely sad how many people, couples I've seen go from relatively good relationships to despising the air the other one is breathing. And it's just because of the process of divorce. And a lot of you guys understand that. But if you can come out of it, co-parenting, just like a contract, 
And if you can give that contract to your ex, and if they go, yeah, we'll make a few amendments, but we'll do the same thing here. Oh my gosh. The, the, impact, the negative impact of that divorce is going to be so minimized in your child's life. Um, but so many of them, we just can't get there. We, we harbor such resentment of, of our ex, we just can't get there. Now, for parents who are actually exiting the much more active parenting phase, they have kids heading to college, they've got kids who are now launched, kids who are married, and they find themselves with this gulf in the marriage because everything has been so much about parenting. What are a couple, two, three steps that they can begin to take to begin to rebuild that marriage? Because you and I both know it's so odd. You hit being married 20, 25 years, almost 30 years, you know, 35, and you think, phew, everybody's, you know, our, our little group has made it. Our group of couples has made it. And then all of a sudden, Boom. after two decades, two and a half yep. decades, three decades, you start seeing people just, it's falling apart. And it's so sad because yeah. I keep thinking you're getting to the good part where you've got time again and you've got weddings, you've got grandbabies coming. Well, divorces spike at three years. Mm -hmm. And that's when people, when they said, I do, they went, I do, this is a mistake. <laughs> and they make it roughly three years until it's over. Seven years, yeah, there was a little bit of a honeymoon, but it went downhill quick. And so there's a spike in, in uh, divorce at seven years. And then there's another one at 20. And it's like, well, what's at 20? Kids leaving home. And, but also, marital satisfaction spikes at 20. So it really does either become the greatest time in the marriage, the life of the marriage, or people decide they're going to end it. I stayed together for the kids, but now I'm out of here. Um, when our last one left, it was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I just, she said, Dad, don't cry. I said, no, no, it's not that. <laughs> Oh, it's tears of joy. The things we did and the places we went. Oh, the things you'll do and the places you'll go. It's fantastic. But it, 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 y'all know this because y'all know people like this. It could have been your parents were like this. It's 20 years, the last one's out of the house, and all of your focus has been on the kids. And in a lot of cases, intentionally not to deal with this. Kids are gone, and there are no ready distractions, and you got to deal with this. And you look across and you say, who are you? I don't know who you are. I don't really mm, want to know who you are. <laughs> and we're out of here. The trick has got to be early intervention, is, is we know that. We know that when that last one's gone, Either it's going to get good or it's going to get bad, but most don't just remain neutral. So we got to prepare for it. Um, we said that, you know, y'all need to be at least once a quarter getting out and going someplace and spending the night. Just y'all, just taking a little relational break. And you keep that going during high school. And I'm telling you, in high school, where they can spend over the, you know, in junior high and high school, you can farm them out. Uh, you know, you just you don't have to breastfeed a 16-year-old. No telling in this society what will be, be the next big thing. Be, um, but you can you can get you can get away, and you intentionally get away. We say we talked about this so many times that your children need to see you choose your spouse. But you're going to miss my 
828,000 soccer game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, and they, but they, yeah, because mommy and I, we are going for some mommy and daddy time. We're going to make all the rest. But they need to see you just like they need to see you slap mama in the rear end and kiss her neck. They need to see you being physically affectionate with your wife. It's critical that they see that. And I'm telling you, when you say, hey, I, we're going to be going someplace, uh, video it, you know, and, and we'll, watch it, we'll watch it together when we get home. But you and your mommy, we need some mommy-daddy time. Do you know, in a very weird sense, your kids love that? They love to hear that. They love to see that y'all are making each other a priority because it's, it's solidifying for them. It, it lets them know that their foundation's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so you start planning ahead, knowing that that's coming. If that involves counseling, great. If that just involves a much more intentional focus on each other leading up to the last one leaving, um, but you don't have the last one leave and say, okay, let's talk about this empty nest thing. You kind of get ahead of the curve. We want to give y'all time to look at your discussion questions that are provided on 